HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello and welcome to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today's sponsor is Fairway Market, like no other market. And for more information on Fairway, visit www.fairwaymarket.com. Today's show is about construction and contracting. And uh, we have a pleasant surprise. Uh, Julia Ickes from DCRNYC.com. That's Design and Construction Resources. Um a lot of the people that we've talked to in prior episodes, you know, work in the restaurants, work on elements that fit inside the restaurants, but don't necessarily work on the house, work on the foundation uh, that supports the restaurant. And that's what Julia brings to the table for us. Uh, interestingly, she is a BA in philosophy, worked for, you know, a tile company, got into project managing, learned the rest on the job. And as she quoted, uh, Learn how to control the kind of chaos that goes along with discerning chef's owners. In 2001, DCR released its first project, which was Jewel Baco, which is uh, in the East Village, one of Jack Lamb's uh, spaces. He also has degustation, um, Jack's Luxury Oyster Bar. Then in what would you say 2003, 2004 was Momofuku. The first Momofuku, yeah, yes. and then the empire started. Um, Rickshaw Dumpling, uh, Momoya, uh, Soto, Kyotofu, uh, Blue Bottle, Eric Helms, Juice Generation, Soyan, tons and tons of spaces. We've done a lot over yeah. the years, yes. So, uh, and the most amazing uh, fact about this is that of the dozen or so spaces. 95% of them are open. They are. They We've been blessed to meet a lot of really talented people, and it's good for us to have our restaurants stay open as long as possible, and people keep coming back to do other projects with us, so it's it's a good thing for everyone. And, and they're all still standing, so you know they're doing a good job. <laughs> 
Now, I don't even think we could start from the base, the beginning, because I don't think people understand what goes into construction and contracting or even what you guys do. So do you have a mission statement, a pitch line that you present clients with when you first meet them? We don't have anything as detailed <laughs> as that. Uh, you know, we're a full service company, so we do uh, space consulting. A lot of our clients come to us before uh, they've chosen a space, and we'll spend some time with them going around the city, taking a look at some cool. of the spaces. And that, that's kind of unheard of for a construction company to actually look at potential spaces. It is a little unusual, but you know, our goal is to get projects done as quickly and as. Uh, cost-effectively as possible. <laughs> um, so we find that it's good to let people know if they're going to be major problems with the space before they sign the lease. Yeah, and uh, in a 2007 New York Times article, um, your husband, Sui, was quoted in saying a signature style that uses inexpensive materials, drywall, plywood, track lighting, and a crisp sense of geometry to create a visually sophisticated, if tiny, rooms. Now, you noted that these rooms, these build-outs, take on average 8 to 12 weeks? In general, if things go smoothly, we try to get out in 8 to 12 weeks. Sometimes, obviously, there are mitigating circumstances outside of our control. But, uh, you know, if, the goal is to get everybody open as quickly as possible. Yeah, and chef's goal, obviously. Yes. Um, but with that 8 to 12 weeks, is it the... the you know, plywood, drywall, are using those materials because they're easier, faster, more efficiently installed, or... No, not exactly. Yeah. It usually has to do with budget. Yeah. Um, you know, our clients come to us with a with a specific vision, um, and generally they come to us with a very specific budget. Uh, we try to design something that can be uh, done for them within their budget, within reason. Yeah, well, let's talk about, well, as everyone knows, Momofuku, mm -hmm. the original, uh, which is now Co., and how that space was initially approached. Well, that space was a fast food chicken restaurant <laughs> first, um, and it's very small. Um, when we met David, he was obviously first starting out. Um, yeah, and this is Chef David Chang for all of these that don't know. So he had specific equipment that needed to go into the space. He wanted the open kitchen. So we started with the kitchen and worked backwards into the aesthetic. Yeah. He obviously, starting out, had a limited budget. So we tailored our design to fit into that budget. Yeah, and also in the New York Times article uh, written by Oliver Schwainer Albright, now known as Oliver Strand, um, David Chang was quoted to be uh, equipment crazy. And the list for the new noodle bar was custom noodle cookers, standard noodle cookers, grills, planches, salamanders, steam oven, range, um, deep fryers. What did he have for the original space? Well, the original space was much more streamlined. It was really just about the noodles and the buns. So um, I think the second noodle bar gave him the opportunity to really get into all of the equipment that he actually wanted and expand his menu. Yeah. Was there kind of a loss in efficiency or understanding, though? You know, going from that first restaurant, what was great about Momofuku wasn't just that open kitchen, people cooking in front of you, but having those planches set up that it was no more than a pivot. I mean, everyone was stationed in such a way that they can almost lock their elbows down and just pass to the left or right. I mean, it was it was absolute, you know, not the least amount of exertion of energy because you saw those guys cook and sweat, but the least amount of, you know, flailing movement that, you know, would take away from that efficiency. You know, we tried to keep a similar feel in the open kitchen in the second Momofuku noodle bar. Obviously, it's a bigger space. They're cooking for more people. Um, but efficiency was key in designing that kitchen as well. Yeah. Um, 
Julie had given me a punch list. I wasn't sure of what that actually meant, but it's actually the like finishing list for construction. Um, and first is you know knowing what kind of equipment go in that space and how do you fit it all in. So do you know specs on like crazy amounts of equipment now? Like how how big a, a certain oven is? How big a certain range? Off the top of my head, no. Yeah. But I have lots and lots of brochures from every single equipment company ever. I could find you that information in one afternoon (laughs) so what are the most coveted things that are just all space consuming oh it really depends on the space you know everybody has a different equipment list i can't remember which piece of equipment it was that we put into code but i remember watching david chang give it a hug when it came (laughs) through the door um you know it really depends on what kind of food they're going to be cooking yeah well the majority of restaurants are of Asian inflect uh, from Japanese to Korean. Um, does that kind of standardize the idea uh, and the aesthetic of the restaurant? Sure. It standardizes the idea of the kitchen to a certain extent. Um, obviously, if they're not doing any cooked food, it changes the way we lay things out. Um, we're very specific on how we design bars. Yeah. Um, sushi chefs are very exacting as it comes to the height of a bar, the material of the bar. Um, When we're doing a sushi restaurant, that tends to be our jumping off What is the height? What is the material that they're looking for? Most of them want some kind of bamboo. Um, For Mr. Soto, we put maple in his space. We were actually going to put cypress in his space. And we had found a place where we could get it, and then Katrina happened. Oh. <laughs> and that was the end of the Cypress for the bar. The height does depend on the sushi chef himself. Yeah. Um, you know, so we work very closely with the chef if he happens to be the owner or if he happens to just be the chef to design the bar in a way that uh, is comfortable for him to work. See, you mentioned bamboo, and I think a lot of people think of that other B-A-M-B-U, you know, the, the sustainable wooden plates, but it's an expensive material, right? It For something like a sushi bar, it is expensive. Um, we have a source for a really beautiful bamboo plywood um, that, you know, we fabricate to make look like a solid piece. Um, it's it's not yeah. inexpensive. Because what was, the, yeah, what was the interesting discussion you had at Degu Station when they said, oh, well, we want, you know, bamboo? The interesting conversation we had at Dega Station, I don't recall how. Oh, not ma- not Degu. Maybe it was Jewelbaco, um, you know, where they wanted all these bamboo rods. And We originally had bamboo yeah. rods in there, um, and we changed it to Formica because the bamboo was not wearing well. Yeah. Um, if, bamboo do- if the bamboo rods don't dry properly, they don't wear well over time. Yeah. So we, we substitute, after the fact, we put in uh, Formica strips, which I think uh, had a a similar effect yeah and both efficient and easy to not worry about exactly and you were talking about fabrication which i find fascinating that you are literally uh you know all jobs in one house underneath the same roof i mean dcrnyc.com go to it and you'll see they can do anything for you and what kind of things do you fabricate that you know you don't outsource because the carpenters would think you'd create your you know nuts we do all of our own carpentry we run a full carpentry crew so all of the woodworking the building of the bar any special features like the bamboo or the the wood walls that we did at momofuku we do in-house usually what what we uh outsource is uh, stainless steel fabrication so we'll do the design for the stainless steel and then somebody else does the fabrication yeah what what are some of the things that you fabricated that are very special and dear to your heart hmm. you were talking about the interweaving at 
the we uh, did a, a feature wall at Soen on Sixth Street uh, that we got the inspiration actually from a placemat. Um, it's <laughs> it a, like those chill witch things. Or? You know, it's like a jointed placemat, yeah. so it has little interlocking pieces that have little pins, and we handmade all of them. And our carpenters thought we were crazy to do that, um, but that's one that's near and dear to my heart. The the walls that we did at Momolia as well, which are just. Uh, cut two by fours and two by sixes to different thicknesses so it gives the appearance of brick that's another one that's very near yeah. and dear to my heart because i mean having to deal with the same things like drywall plywood track lighting it gets redundant it does i mean you know there's only so much you can do with the most basic of materials and in a city like new york obviously you have to do something to make your design stand out your restaurant stand out so you know we we do take the time to come up with something special for all of our clients yeah and you had mentioned though that form you know really does follow function as your primary inspiration yes um you know a restaurant has to work that's the first rule um you know we try to design the kitchen and you know all of the stations in a way that the staff is as efficient as possible the (laughs) least number of steps the better um you know it, it equates to faster turnover, which means more seats overnight, yeah. which means more money for a client yeah. um, and happier workers. And everybody likes a happy worker. Yeah, it's amazing that you're actually looking out for them because <laughs> I feel like a lot of places get built for this kind of posh effect and not necessarily the most efficient, you know, uh, understanding towards the staff, even to the chef owner sometimes. Oh, I mean, we've all been in restaurants that have been beautiful. And then you see the staff walking on top of each other or tripping over each other or running back and forth a thousand times you know it's ultimately about the ability to prepare the best meal possible so you know the staff obviously has to be taken into account excellent well we're going to take our break and we're going to come back talking about the best meals possible within these spaces and how you go about compiling a scrapbook of images colors anything to get that desired feel or aesthetic going Um, You're listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. Today I have Julia Ickes from DCRNYC.com. That's Design and Construction Resources. They are the people that will take care of you. <laughs> if you have a small restaurant space in New York, you're hoping to build out for efficiency, you know, uh, make sure that you keep your staff happy uh, because they try to cut down on the amount of steps in between things. Uh, 
well, they're also not given that much space to work with initially. But what was really interesting is that to come up with a different design aesthetic for each restaurant, they asked their clients to compile a scrapbook of images and colors. What kind of, you know, information well, have you gotten back? We've gotten some really interesting things from people. I always enjoy looking over the things that people bring in because I really ask them to bring to me what they respond to. It could be anything, a photograph, a color swatch anything um i had a lot of fun working with james freeman from blue bottle yeah. coffee because he has a very specific eclectic sense of everything um so he he gave me a lot of really interesting things from old school speakers to a specific picture of his son with his dog um images of cars all sorts of things yeah. that he responded to you know, some of these things can be translated into <laughs> interior design and yeah. some of them can't. But, you know, James was very specific that he doesn't like things like signs. He doesn't like to see the cash register. You know, he, he doesn't like modern looking electronics. So. so how did you circumvent those kind of things? What what construction implements did you use to hide the cash register or well, eliminate signage? We, when we were building the custom stainless steel for behind the coffee bar, we custom designed it so that the cash register that he uses um, sits flush with the counter so you really can't see it James doesn't like POS systems so he was very specific about having like kind of an old school yeah, cash that's register. That's like Micro's point of service yeah. You know and he just wanted to make sure it was as hidden as possible you know he brought in the, the speakers that we installed in the space and we built that whole built-in shelving unit to accommodate yeah. those speakers. Is that where all that Kyoto drip coffee yes, is coming right down? Yes, right next on? to yeah. the Kyoto I'm absolutely. I, I'd rather spend uh, the money on that than go out for a crappy beer any day. <laughs> so, I mean, even though one's caffeine, one's alcohol, people think it's ludicrous sometimes spending, what is it, like four and a quarter for a cup of coffee? This is the best cup of coffee you're going to have it's, in New York. It's pretty intense. I have to admit, I'm a big coffee drinker, but that coffee makes my hands sweat a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I mean, strong. You can, uh, part, you know, portion it out throughout the day. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, if you're, you're spending for not just, a, you know, quality, but there is a, a you know, big amount of quantity of caffeine. Yes, it, it packs a powerful there, punch. Yeah, <laughs> certainly a punch. And, um, Blue Bottle isn't done. What, there, are, there are more things happening there. We have been joking that maybe Blue Bottle will never be done. Um, <laughs> you know, when James first came to us, I don't think that he was certain how successful he was going to be in the New York area. So, you know, we proposed several different options to him, and he went with, you know, a combination of a couple of things that we came up with. Clearly, they're doing very, very well. They're doing just fine. Um, so the current roaster that we have in there is is not up to the capacity that they need to roast. So we will be installing a larger roaster, um, and they are also going to be put. We are going to be putting in a pastry kitchen um, because I believe they want to be doing their own baking. Excellent. And James's wife, Caitlin, um, was the mastermind behind Miette in San Francisco. If you never got to experience that. Um, you'll be very happy if when it comes to new york i think they're shooting for october to start doing their their pastries over there so excellent so in a project like this you're saying jokingly you don't know if it will ever end how do you bookend how do you you know put a cap on a project it really depends on the project and i think that one of the reasons why we've been so successful and our clients like us so much is that we never really go away um 
if you have an emergency, if something leaks, if something breaks down, um, you know, we answer our phone all the time. Jack Lamb always says to my husband, sweet, you know, thank you for always answering your phone because, you know, it'll be 100 degrees out and all of a sudden your AC isn't working yeah. and they so, call I mean, us. You actually do the HVAC stuff as well? Well, I mean, yeah. obviously we have a subcontractor, yeah. but we can get him in there a lot faster than somebody who is a layperson can get them in faster. You know, plumbing problems. I mean, restaurants are obviously a living, breathing creation. Yeah. You know, it's not a spaceship. Things break. Things need to be replaced. And, you know, we do a lot of maintenance on our, our projects, you know, yearly cleanup and repainting. Um, yeah. And by having a similar, not necessarily design aesthetic, which you do, but, uh, you know, building aesthetic, you have a stockpile of these things of drywall and, you know, uh, well, we don't generally store things. Yeah. I don't know if you know, but storage in New York is very <laughs> expensive. Um, you know, although I have to confess that I have a storage space on Ludlow Street that has, you know, half boxes of a million different kinds of tile. Yeah. Um, when we were tiling the bathroom in our own office, we had our tiler use a mosaic of leftover <laughs> tile. A little Momo here, a little uh, Jubaka Exactly. There, yeah. It's kind of nostalgic to go into the bathroom and remember all of the different projects we did with the tile. Um, but yeah, I mean, we keep obviously keep material around for all of our clients because tile needs to be replaced, you know, things of that nature. We, uh, we're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, a couple other places like Chicalicious, uh, you know, Kyotofu, how do those different? I mean, having a similar, you know, in the sense, ingredient base or, you know, material base, how do you change the aesthetic per restaurant? You were speaking about giving this scrapbook, but you're working with similar size spaces, mm -hmm. uh, mainly Asian cuisine. What elements per restaurant give it its own? Well, it really depends on the client. Chickalicious, obviously, Chica is a pastry chef herself and was very specific about how she wanted the feel of it. So we had more guidance. <clears throat> excuse me, more guidance from her. Uh, Kyotofu, the the two people who own that, they are not pastry chefs themselves. They hired a pastry chef, and they gave they they were young and they gave us a lot more freedom in the space yeah. which was fun i seem to recall my designer hero at one point telling them that it was going to be a surprise <laughs> which they accepted a lot of people won't accept it was a, it was a pleasant surprise <laughs> but they yeah. did accept it you know we worked with their pastry chef but they had a couple of different pastry chefs in at the beginning um so we got some conflicting kitchen design um elements on that it, it's easier to work yeah. with when the chef is the owner so, themselves. so what yeah what's what's the importance uh the more important thing is it the kitchen is it the dining room or is it the cohesive kind of you know flow of both well obviously anytime that the kitchen is going to be seen and we do a lot of open kitchens we have to think about how the space is going to flow from the kitchen to the dining area but first and foremost we talk about equipment yeah um we ask for an equipment list because we have to determine is there enough gas is there going to be enough electricity you know what is the what are the venting needs of the space yeah. um let's even go before that because i don't think a lot of people even know what the acronym dob means ah the department of buildings <laughs> our, our best friends in the our industry. best friends in the industry i mean how do you even start dealing with them or as you were mentioning the cfo the certificate of occupancy well generally we don't have to change a certificate of occupancy because a lot of the spaces that we recommend that our clients 
go into are existing restaurants. Yeah. If you're building a restaurant, look for an existing restaurant. <laughs> it makes filing the job a lot easier. Um, if you do have to change the certificate of occupancy, it can take a very long time. You tend to spend a lot of hours at the Department of Buildings with you know people going over your drawings with a fine-tooth comb. It's a process. It's a bureaucratic process. It's unavoidable. Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing we do is we draw it. We prepare filing drawings. We get a landlord to sign off on it. They obviously need to review the drawings and okay the work that we're going to be doing. And then we file it. If the, if the examiner has objections, we go in, we address the objections, we'll revise drawings if need be, and, uh, you know, that kind of goes on until they finally rubber stamp it and approve it. Yeah, you, you seem to find a way to, like, streamline that, being that you have that average 8- to 12-week turnover. I mean, what specific things have you seen other companies do before that you've built on, um, you know, not to use that as a pun, but, like, actually helped the efficiency of you filing these papers? Well, I think it's really about getting all of your ducks in a row before the paperwork goes in, because it's a lot easier to address issues before they've gone in front of an examiner yeah. than it is. And you mean issues like, you know, from gas to plumbing to HVAC or... Exactly. I mean, there are a whole slew of elements that come up with the Department of Buildings, and it really depends on where you're working. Brooklyn and Queens are very difficult. Manhattan is a little bit easier. Um it's a process. It can be an incredibly frustrating yeah. process. <laughs> are, you, are you doing a couple more incredibly frustrating processes right now? New restaurants, new projects that you're excited about? I'm doing a couple of new projects. Um, we're doing a production facility for one of our clients in Long Island City, um, Eric Helms, who owns Juice Generation. We are just starting the process of filing yeah. this project. I haven't yet determined how big of a deal it's going yeah. to be we haven't gotten in front of an examiner yet um but other than that everything's moving along smoothly um we're we're going to be doing another rickshaw dumpling um i think you said big of a deal how big is this space is it your largest one that you're working on yet no it's about the size of blue bottle about oh, okay. four thousand square feet excellent um, it's a it's a great space it'll be a great production facility um he got a good deal yeah. on it. it's a nice a really nice space so four thousand square feet um isn't that big a restaurant? Isn't that big a space that you know do that much food service out of? Is it? Or? Oh yeah, in this yeah. in this city, it's huge. Yeah, um, you know, Blue Bottle was a challenge for us because we are so used to doing such small spaces. Yeah, that when we got in there, it was kind of difficult to wrap our brain around actually having the space to do everything that we wanted so, to do. On average, how many square feet do you usually get to work with? Eight hundred, twelve hundred. So apartments, yeah. well, large apartments, because yeah. <laughs> most people don't you know, even have that. Yeah. Some of them are smaller, like Chickalicious is smaller. Yeah. Um, you know, it really depends on the space. A lot of people think that it will be cheaper and easier to build in a space that's small. Yeah. It's, it's not at all. You end up having, you know, an entire crew of people standing on top of each other in 500 square feet on a 90 degree day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all about coordination when you're doing general contracting and it can be very hard to coordinate people when there's no space to move. You can't, you know, the equipment has to come in at exactly the right time because it can't be on the job site while yeah. you're doing everything <laughs> else because then you won't have the room to work in. Yeah. So, I mean, what is the perfect amount of size or what, what have you worked on that you're super happy with, not just the amount of size, but the way the restaurant flows and 
the way people don't stand on top of each other, that there is enough space for everything to coexist. Soto Space was a nice space to work in. It's a nice-sized restaurant. Um, both of the Momoya restaurants that we did, also nice-sized restaurants. Um, you know, the tinier, the more difficult, so Chickalicious was a little tricky. Uh, the original Oyster Bar, which was in a little townhouse on 5th Street, that restaurant was incredibly difficult yeah, how to so? do. It, it's, it's tiny. I mean, yeah. it's, it's 500 square feet. Um, it's tiny. Yeah. There was a time where Jack had asked us to move a cast iron French stove up into the second floor of the building, which obviously <laughs> it couldn't go up the stairs, so it had to go up through the window. You know, it, it's a challenge to work in a small yeah. space. So, I mean, do you guys ever hope to have... 10,000 square feet space to, you know, work with. And how would that change your, you know, approach and aesthetic? Oh, sure. I would love to do a really big project. I mean, it's it's always interesting to challenge yourself. And as I said, we've kind of, we've gotten good at the small spaces. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would be interesting to take on a, a really big space. I can't imagine that we will be doing any 10,000 square foot spaces anywhere in the five boroughs. But it could be a possibility. I think it. I think the design process would take a little bit longer um, because you know filling a space that size and making it feel comfortable and warm yeah. is is a challenge. You know, I mean, we have the benefit in a small space that everything feels pretty cozy. Well, I think with the multitude <laughs> of small spaces that you already have your name stamped on, you're you know getting to ten thousand square feet even on some certain blocks like the Momofukus. So maybe just get those little small spaces in between. and you Exactly. Know. We'll gang them all together. Yeah, <laughs> Make exactly. one really big one. Um, yeah, I, I would like to do a big project at some point. So if you're looking to do a big project out there, you know, uh, 4,000 square feet and above, give DCR nyc.com uh, a look-see, a uh, call. Talk to, yeah, talk to <laughs> Julia uh, or even a small restaurant. I mean, these are the things that I think a lot of people don't understand, don't know how to approach and it's all housed underneath one roof right here so we try to take care of people from beginning to end it's stressful i know to open a new business a lot of our clients are first-time restaurant owners um you know we try to ease the pain of it as much as possible and take care of as much as we possibly can i said well it was a pleasure having you on thank, thank you, you so, so much, much. Julia. this was fun <laughs> yeah definitely and like i said if you need to build out a restaurant you know where to go now and you're welcome um i <laughs> want to thank our sponsor fairway market again like no other market check out www.fairwaymarket.com i'm michael harlan turkel you're listening to the food scene i want to thank jack Invley, our producer nat wiener our engineer and Hope to see you next Tuesday at 3 p.m.